He beat me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, welcome back to the pod. Today, I invite you into my living room where I got the chance to sit down with Mike Jackness, who is enormously well-respected in the world of e-commerce. And he's also the host of a wonderful podcast called the Ecom Crew Podcast, which is nearly 300 episodes of no BS inside info. You know, it's uh, sometimes tough to tell in the e-commerce world who's just talking to sell you courses and who's telling you genuine stories of people who are making money online. And Mike is definitely part of the latter group. So what's coming up? Well, in this episode, Mike and I dive into how an obsession with poker, and those of you who are into poker in movies may have gotten the hint by that clip at the top of the show, how that turned into his first major foray into entrepreneurship. And we'll also discuss that moment that he knew he just had to get out of that game. If I was 20 in, in that exact environment, I probably, there's a chance I could be dead right now. You know, maybe I overdosed on storing too much cocaine or, you know, I'd probably be broke and destitute like most of the people that were around me at that time. He's going to lay out the successful strategy behind his most successful brand called Color It. And I'm putting successful in quotes here for reasons we'll also get into. It was very intentional. It was one of these things where I took accumulation of all this knowledge, not only in the e-commerce industry, but like all the things that I had done my whole life and like put it all together. So nothing about it was accidental. And why Mike ultimately made the decision to sell. It got to a point where for the first time in my life, I, like I had true anxiety. I mean, to the point where it was affecting my health. You know, I came from a position going into this where I felt like I was financially well off and like in a good spot. And I was getting to a point where if something bad happened, I was almost going to go back to zero again. So stick around for a wide ranging interview with what I thought were wonderful insights and tips and also some philosophical thoughts. And, you know, I just can't help myself in the quick fire round at the end. I hope you all dig this one. Let's roll it. You know, I grew up in a like lower middle class kind of environment. We had like enough where we had a roof over our head, but like we weren't living like any extravagant lifestyle. So nothing was like ever handed to me. And I also just wasn't very good at school. But I was like super bored and tired and like didn't want to be in school, didn't get good grades. And so like college was never going to be an option for me. And I just I don't really know, I it wasn't never even considered for a moment going to college. I didn't end up going to community college for a bit. That was like a self-elected thing. But like I knew that like there wasn't the money there for me to be able to go to college. And I didn't have the grades to get into college. I mean, anything that was reputable. And so in the high school age, I was just like, I'm going to be scrappy and just do whatever I got to do today to make money to survive. For a long time, it was always like a short-term mentality. It was just like, I got to put money in the bank. I want to get the hell out of my parents' house and, you know, go live my life. When did you stumble onto a more long-term mindset or idea? My cousin, who eventually became my business partner in our first big business that we did, like sat me down and talked me about investing when I was like 18 or 19. And like, it kind of blew my mind, uh, the whole thought of long-term thinking and compounding interest and, and building a nest egg. These were things, again, that like my parents never talked about. He kind of laid out the whole thought process of that. And I'm a very math and analytical guy. So like what he made, said made sense like immediately to me, and it changed my mindset. Again, it was, it was very scrappy. I think that some of this is just instinctual. Like I think that it's, it's, it's a part of your DNA. You know, some people are born to be entrepreneurial and, and do these types of things, and other people aren't. And I think that both are okay. We hire employees as entrepreneurs, and if they were all entrepreneurs, then the world wouldn't function because it just wouldn't work right. And so, you know, a lot of it was just kind of instinctual. And 
I was, you know, I was a kid of the eighties and computers were becoming a prevalent thing. And I was lucky enough to have an early IBM, like 8088 computer yeah. and a two thirty, you know, 286 and 386, 486. And just kind of was like, I, I was really into like, for whatever reason, just building computers and into computers. And that became like my first business. I was just like, I know how to you know, get WordPerfect installed on, on a Microsoft DOS computer. Yeah. And I would go to people's homes and help them, you know, just from people that I knew in the neighborhood. And eventually like one thing leads to another. And there's a lot of stepping stones in life that help with this. But I can remember one particular moment, uh, one of the only jobs I ever applied for in my entire life. I went down to CompUSA, uh, which is like a local computer chain store down there and apply for a job like in their tech department. And they were offering like six bucks an hour to do stuff. And I was like, that doesn't seem like a lot. I can charge maybe 20 bucks an hour as a consultant, like helping people with their computer problems at home and kind of control my own destiny. And so that's exactly what I ended up doing. And one thing led to another. And eventually one of the the clients that I, I had as a home computer job, they also like had some business stuff and I ended up like doing some more business stuff, which are better clients and my consulting business continued to grow. And one of the, the companies I worked for as a consultant ended up actually hiring me. And that was the one job that I ever had in my life. Uh, and I did that for seven years. What job was that? I was a director of IT for a company in Fairfax, Virginia. And it was an awesome ride. I mean, the reason I ended up staying there seven years is I got to like have the best of both worlds. I felt like an entrepreneur in, within that environment. But also, I knew that it was a good opportunity for me because I was... I was learning certain things uh, in my entrepreneurial journey, but there was things that I couldn't learn without being like in the corporate environment. So I got to learn how to be an executive and how to do a corporate you know, politics and a bunch of things that later in my life, as I built my own businesses, that became important. I got to see things from the inside out. Why do you leave? One of the things I've realized now that I'm in my 40s, there's a, a few constants you can start to look back at, right? And one of the things that I've realized is the reason I do all this is the excitement part of it. It's not the money. Like the money is a way to keep score. Like, and it's awesome. It's important. But for me, like the constant is, am I being challenged? And so at that job for the first like five and a half years, that was the environment that I was in. I mean, I was, when I first started, there was like, oh my God, I'm a director level employee and there's four offices across the country and I got to figure out how to like network these computers. I have no idea like how to do any of this, but I'm going to go figure it out. Yeah. And once I figured that out, I was like, okay, I'm kind of getting bored. And I like told them that. And then they threw me like another thing and another thing. And that's what I cared about was like being thrown something that no one else could figure out how to do. And eventually, you know, the company started kind of, instead of going through this hyper growth period where I was a part of that and learning and being challenged, they were running into some hard times and I was, I got bored really fast and I was ready for something else. What year was this? The end of 2003, like December, 2003, January, 2004. So what did you do next? The thing that I was really into at the time, like a lot of other men was playing poker. <laughs> this was the, if you're a little younger, the heyday, <laughs> I mean, it was the mix of Chris Moneymaker, the Moneymaker winning, effect, yeah. winning the world series of poker and then rounders coming out. Rounders, the wonderful yeah. movie written by Brian Koppelman. Yeah. And just everybody was playing poker. I mean, I would watch rounders at least once a month. I mean, I was so into poker. I would drive up to Atlantic City at least once a month, play poker up the Tropicana. That's what it was like. Like everybody had a poker chips. Everybody yeah. had. So you were like, I'm going to start a poker business. Well, it happened by accident. Like a lot of things do. And I was playing poker in a casino, playing poker in my house. I would have a tournament every, every week. And I would play a lot of online poker. Online poker was a lot different than it is now. You can only play one table at a time. I was really into playing tournaments on top of that. So it's, it's actually pretty boring. Like you're just kind of sitting there. It's like fold, wait, 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 fold, yeah. you know, and it's kind of boring. And I, as you can probably tell already just from this interview, like I don't sit still well. And so <laughs> I was on the internet, like looking at party poker's website, like reading the terms and conditions. And there was a link there that said affiliates. And I clicked on that. Didn't really know what, what that meant at all. Like I know what the word affiliate meant, but like, you know, from the dictionary, but didn't understand it in the concept of online marketing. And it was like one of these like instant epiphanies, like seriously, like where I can just like literally remember the exact moment I was sitting in my chair in December, 2003, playing this poker tournament. And I click on affiliates and see on the page, if you send us one to nine players, we'll pay you $65 a player. If you send us 10 or more players in a month, we'll pay you $75 a player. And I was like, okay, well, I'm kind of introverted. I have 
friends that I can count on my fingers and toes. That's not really enough to change my life. How am I going to send them enough players to like change my life in a way where like I'm going to be doing this in a way that's going to make a difference in terms of monetary value? And I'm like, you know, playing the tournament, kind of like thinking through this problem and thought about, well, if I give away something like in compensation for someone signing up for online poker, it'll make it a lot easier to get them to do it. And I was like, well, Doyle Brunson Super Systems is like the most popular poker book right now. What if I give away this book in exchange for someone signing up for online poker? Like, okay, well, that's a great idea. But like, again, like how am I going to find people to do this at scale? And so at the time, the side hustle I was doing was selling on eBay and I was an eBay power seller. And so I put up what auctions. What kind of stuff were you selling? I was selling out of print DVDs and coins. And stuff I'll, that you picked up at flea markets? Or? No, it was... Again, I had started, now that we're talking, you know, this is 2003 at the moment, but I got started on eBay in 1998. Mm-hmm. It's like right at the dawn of eBay. I found that there was like this little niche market of selling out of print DVDs. So like now the supply is limited, but the price goes up because the supply is limited. And so, but this becomes a problem. You know, it's hard to find more out of print DVDs because you're like calling all around, like looking for all these out of print DVDs. But there's like kind of a trick here, which would be if I could find out about what's going to go out of print before it goes out of print and buy a bunch of them and sit on them for a couple of months and then sell them. Now I might have a business. And so I reached out to studios and wholesalers and it turns out that they announced this ahead of time. And I got on a list of things that are going to be discontinued in X week's time. And I would just buy up cases of these titles and then sell them a couple months later. And by the time you were clicked that affiliate link at the bottom of Party Poker, how much money were you making a month in profit? I was making you know five or ten k a month. Wow! So you were cruising. I was doing well. I mean, I was also making six figures on my regular job. So I mean, I was doing well. I mean, especially for a twenty-something-year-old kid. Yeah. Uh, at the time, and I was only spending one or two hours a night doing eBay. So I was doing very well for the amount of time that I was putting into it. But it wasn't like it never crossed my mind at that moment that this is what I want to do with my life right now eBay wasn't a challenge. It was a way to make some extra coin. The job that I was doing was a challenge. Like I really enjoyed being in the weeds and and doing what I was doing there because it was every day was something new. And I love that feeling. And so eBay didn't provide that. It was a way to make some extra buck, but like, I was like, I'm not going to leave my job. I mean, it sounds like you're not that money motivated. I was definitely money motivated at the time. It was actually probably like all I really cared about. You know, I think it was like the American way kind of thing. And we'll probably get into this in a little bit. My outlook on this changed later on, another event that kind of happened a little bit further on. But at the time, like, yeah, like I could never get enough money. You start putting up poker affiliate sites? I put up a buy it now eBay listing for a penny. And it said, but the way that you pay for this is to sign up for party poker. And I'm going to send you this book for, for free basically. And it was actually against eBay's terms of service. I didn't realize that at the time. By the time eBay shut down what I was doing, I had already done this a couple of thousand times. I mean, it, like, it took off like wildfire. That email list was enough to then start an affiliate program for what became that business. And, and once that took off, once that started taking off, I was like, this is what I want to do. How did the affiliate thing go? Like That started in 2003. When did it end? I left at the end of 2010. So this company that I created in January 2004, I was there until the end of 2010. The the thing still exists today, but I just sold my stake in it last year. So like I was living off of that money from, you know, 2000 through 2011 through 2019 basically. It became a real company. We had 66 employees at our peak. I mean, it was it was a real company. The site that we started was called Poker Source Online. Mm-hmm. And Eventually, we ended up buying PokerSource.com and got a better domain. I started learning about domains and SEO. But at, at a certain point, we also you know, ran a site called Type Poker, one called Bonus Horrors, This is the Nuts, Rake Break, Pocket Fives, Poker News Daily, uh, probably a couple others that I'm forgetting about. Yeah. Um, but we kind of built a, I wouldn't say empire, but you know, sure. poker conglomerate, probably a better word. And we were the second or third largest poker affiliates in the world at one point. In the heyday. A lot of people talk about the heyday of the poker boom and Hmm. people are into betting sites and horse track gambling and poker and they suggest that there's a lot of shady elements to that industry. There are. And what kind of things did you see? So the one thing I'm I'm very fortunate about, and I know this for sure, 
by 2006, I was 30 years old. I was in a serious relationship. I eventually ended up getting married to this woman. Uh, and so by the time I was into the poker thing, I was a little bit older and wiser and, and luckily like didn't get sucked into the vortex of things I probably can't talk about on the podcast if this is a family podcast. So what sort of things do you mean though? I always say hookers and blow. I mean, the people that are in the industry are doing lots of drugs, hooking up with prostitutes, spending money that? excessively. I mean, I think that when you're young and impressionable, there's definitely things that you know, when you're younger that seem alluring, you, know, you get money. A lot of young people making a lot of money. Basically. A lot of young people making a lot of money and your priorities or your expectations or your values in life are going to be X. And when you get older and experience certain things and age and wise or whatever, you're going to have a different value set or different mentality, different outlook on life. You know, things that you might have thought were cool at one point in your life. You might think like, why the hell would I ever do that? Or I would never do that again. And I say this because I think that I, if I was 20 in, in that exact environment, I probably, there's a chance I could be dead right now. You know, maybe I overdosed on storing too much cocaine or, you know, I'd probably be broke and destitute. Like most of the people that were around me at that time, they were spending money quicker than it was coming in. And by time that had hit, like I'd already been through a couple of business cycles and life cycles and realized like this might not last forever. I should probably save more of this than I'm spending. And I also had kind of like changed my outlook uh, as I was mentioning earlier in terms of like what I thought that I needed in life. I kind of had already realized that like buying more things. When and, did that change come about? It was not like one particular day, but it was an environment of moving to Costa Rica and living there in a third world country around people that are making 600 bucks a month. And I was making, you know, that year I made seven figures in a year and I was not happy. And everyone around me was, they were making way less money than me. And you start seeing this, you know, it's like, not only like anyone sat me down and explained this to me, it was just that I saw these like local Costa Rican guys or, or, or gals that were constantly happy and joking and just like smiling all the time. And I'm like, just freaking miserable, like just cranky and just like, Why? it's not enough. I don't know. Like the cliche, like money doesn't buy you happiness or, you know, I was maybe trying to aim too high in the business. Uh, we were also going through, there was the poker boom, but there was the poker bust. So we're like kind of like living through that. You maybe set these expectations of, I just want to grow, 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 grow. And it's not sustainable. And so at some point over time, my mindset shifted. It was just like, I don't need all these things that I think that I need. They're not making me any happier. In fact, more responsibility and more things like just takes more, it sucks more of your time and makes you less happy. So at some point became more of a minimalist. Like, I mean, I, we've been traveling out of a backpack right now and that's basically most everything that I own. You know, some people travel or live that way because that's all they can afford to do. You know, I've chosen to do it because I want to do it, you know, and it's just the less things I have, the less responsibilities, the more freeing it is. Like, you know, just, just owning a house, like as a, for instance, which I'll probably do again someday, but we, we just recently sold our house last year. And like just owning the house is like, it's a lot of responsibility. Like you got to like mow the yard. You got like when something breaks, you got to go fix it. You know, you got bills to pay for utilities and you're just things you got to just constantly be worrying about. And even if it only takes you a minute or two a day on average, it, it's still mind space. It's things that you're thinking about and stressing about. Like, you know, when there was fires in California, for instance, which is where we were living last, it's like, oh my God, is my house going to burn down? Or, you know, having to stress about that or earthquakes or something, you know, these are all things that you take for granted but they do add stress to your life. And eventually these are things that I kind of figured out and realized and started making some life changes to, to make it better. You're creating all your own problems. And there's, there's some really good studies about there about money and money and happiness. And there's like a curve basically of like, yeah, like at some point money is all your problems. Like if you don't have money, like you can't eat, you don't have a shelter, you don't have the basic needs. Once you have those things met, like everything past that is diminishing returns on, on what you're getting for your money. And so you know, I have all those basic needs covered. I don't have to worry about my shelter or my food. I can afford all those things. And anything else above that, any problems I have, I'm making them for myself and I can eliminate all those problems. You're living in Costa Rica. Why do you leave this company that you've built, this empire? Well, first of all, that million dollars a year thing didn't last forever. And so like, again, the poker boom, there's a poker buzz. And again, I, I like challenges. I like things where things are growing, the excitement of that. And I also don't mind problems. Like those are also fun to solve. But when it's many, many years of that in a row, it starts to really wear on you. 
And so it was an environment where I, I coined this, like building a business on quicksand saying, which is what I felt like we were doing in poker, because like every year it was some other like major hit to our, to our business. So first in 2006, the online UIGA, so it's like the Unlawful Gaming Enforcement Act passes in the middle of the night, like on this port security bill. And so that was like a huge hit. Then like NetTeller, which was a big payment processor, pulls out. Then like a couple of poker rooms pull out of the US and then some other ones Basically, pull the out American government takes aim at your industry. Takes aim at the industry. It was painful. I mean, it was painful to see a $10 million business go down to, to $1 million, or let's say like it was something to that scale. And you know, we'd build it back up and then something else would happen. And so like it was, you were, we were making lower highs and lower lows every year. And even though we're still making good money, it was kind of a depressing environment from that perspective. And I was younger at that time and didn't understand this relationship of like, it's okay to be doing a little bit less the next year. It, it's like almost like a successful in some other way, because we managed to do this in this huge headwind, but I didn't look at it that way. It was just like, F, this sucks. Like we're just, you know, things are going constantly going backwards. And so it was like that combined with it being a really sleazy industry. Like the people that I would say that were my friends or counterparts in the industry peers. were just like peers. Yeah. We're not people that I wanted to associate myself with. You know, I just didn't look forward to going to conferences and spending time with them. On top of that, it became even more cutthroat. I mean, I see the same thing happening now on Amazon, actually. It's actually kind of funny how now I've started to identify similar patterns and cycles across multiple businesses and industries. But whatever there's like, quote unquote, easy money to be made, everyone like flocks to that. And there's always this like environment of like, I'll do it for less or I'll step on your mother to like, to beat you. It's like a mercenary mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People don't want to share information. They're not there to help each other exactly. out. They're there to stomp each other out. Yeah. I mean, it was miserable. And that's one of the things I love about e-commerce. Like, I mean, I am an open book. You know, I'm never going to sell all the world's gel pens or ice packs or, you know, and even if I tell you, like, it doesn't really matter. And the greater good that comes out of like helping each other and talking about this openly way outweighs the the things that do happen. I mean, obviously not everything works out for the best, but for the most part, it's, it's really worked out versus if it was online poker, like I could never do that. Like I couldn't talk to you about anything that I was doing because we were all aiming to get the exact same customer at all times. Yeah. You know, it was just like this constant battle. A zero sum game. Zero sum game. And I'm also in a different position where like, I feel like I'm more financially secure and you know, not just with money, but with myself and the repercussions of helping other people, which is a lot of what we do now with our own podcast and things that we're doing like bring me way more joy than anything else I've done in my life. And so like, if it makes me a hundred thousand dollars less per year in e-commerce sales, like to me, that's just an investment in something that just makes me happier. There's two themes of 2020 for me and for the show that you've gestured towards. And one is we didn't meet some of our financial goals last year. And it's easy to like, let those expectations like wear on your psyche, like mm -hmm. existentially. I did this thought experiment. It's like, if I had nothing and you like halved my business and then handed it back to me, I right. would be like, this is the greatest opportunity. This is mm -hmm. such a wonderful thing. And the second thing is being paranoid about your competition and being greedy and all those things. Those are all choices. I've spent a year of my entrepreneurial life just being paranoid. I don't know why. And when I snapped out of it, I was like, you can trove around the internet and get pissed off at everybody nipping at your heels yeah. or you can just do your thing that happened in the poker, the poker industry. And I spent all my energy being spun out about this. Like just, I mean, I mean, I'm talking like an unhealthy amount of energy, kind of like, I think what you're talking about here. Like you're kind of mentally grinding on it. Beyond that. I spent like all my time, like looking at how someone else was copying us and like ripping us off. And like you're saying, nipping at your heels because this was my idea. You're copying me. You're a piece of crap. And I need to spend all my time like trying to like stop you from doing it or get back at you somehow for doing it. And the reality is, is that like, you're never going to stop that. Any minute that you're spending, like looking at that is a minute that you're not staying ahead of them or making something new or making your business better. It's so toxic. It's, it's such toxic. Because it, what I found in me is it bred like inaction. It paralyzes Right, me. it paralyzes you. Like if someone's going to make another forum for for business owners to like get together and do something similar to what you do like you're not going to stop that yeah and so like what you have 
is unstoppable if you spend more time focusing on that, which is like your existing community and the relationships that you've built. And like the competition is never going to take that away from you. And if you spend more time fostering those relationships and, and making new and better things for your community and the word of mouth continues to spread, that's going to keep you ahead of that jerkwad that decide that like he's going to just copy you because he's not unique enough to like do it himself. I've applied that way of thinking to everything that I do now and just worry about myself, continue to advance my business. And the same thing with like a down year, you're never going to have an up year every year. I mean, it's again, another statistically impossible thing. There's no company in the history of the world that's ever gone forever without having a down year. You know, even Apple is a, you know, the largest company in the world right now, like had down years, almost went out of business for crying out loud at one point and then turned it around and, and has had up years since then, but they're going to have a down year. <laughs> like something's going to happen where they'll have a down year again. And then also like, what am I going to do with all this money at some point? You know, it's like, it's not going to actually change my life anyway. And just being realistic about these things and not letting it get you down a way where it, you know, depresses you or, or puts you in a bad state of mind because like, you're never going to get that time back that you spent those days or those months or those years in that mindset. Yeah. That's and, not living. You know, that's not living. What's your Amazon origin story? How did mm. you come across the platform? Because I think it's fair to say that your primary reputation right now is as someone who's competent selling things on Amazon. I would say just e-commerce in general, but yeah, Amazon's the big focus, I guess at this point, but yeah, after I got out of online poker, uh, took a couple years off. One of the things I was doing was investing in domain names, which I still I still do, and doing other affiliate marketing outside of online poker. But one of the ones that the good note means that I did have and bought was treadmill.com, which is how it's interesting, like as entrepreneurs, how businesses are often formed out of like convenience or like having something else or some other thing that's like kind of right there. And so I own treadmill.com that I bought as an investment. And was using it as an affiliate marketing site. And one day woke up and I was like, you know what? I want to get an e-commerce. Like, I don't want to be an affiliate marketer any longer. I want to provide more value to the world. This was in 2012. We started selling treadmills and fitness equipment online. And eventually sold that business in 2015. And in the same month, bought another For what kind of dollar figure ballpark? It was mid to high six figures. Mm Mm-hmm. And to big money, to be perfectly honest about this particular transaction, I felt like it was a huge failure. I had these illusions of grandeur with treadmill.com that it was going to be like this 10 million plus exit. And, uh, it just wasn't that. Why'd you sell it though? It was a miserable business for, for me. It was a drop shipping business. It like customers were never happy. I can't operate in this environment where people's money that I'm taking aren't happy with the service I'm providing. As a drop shipper, you had limited ability to. I would. It was even less than limited. <laughs> You're like at the mercy of everyone else in the in the process to to let you know that the thing's actually in stock, or you know, that you, so you sell something that's not in stock. That sucks. You know, like they tell you afterwards, like we don't have any more of those, or how long is it going to be before they ship it? And you, you know, this is this world of hyper fast shipping. And so like it takes two weeks for them to get out the door. That's not going to be acceptable in the customer's eyes. It's not going by UPS. So there's no tracking number on this damn thing that's going you know, across the country. Shipping companies that you know, aren't UPS or FedEx are incredibly inefficient. Things get lost, damaged. They'll show up whenever the hell they feel like it. They kind of give you like, we'll be there on Tuesday. And you're like, what time? Like, we'll be there on Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be different <laughs> for every product. Yeah. And, and it was that. just like, you know, everything that could go wrong was like kind of going wrong. People were constantly pissed off. And I just didn't enjoy it. And so we ended up just selling it because of that. And it was much more difficult running that business than I thought. I didn't do any market research. Of course, I was, you know, that was, uh, that would have been smart. But, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, so we sold it. And then the same month, I bought another business that it wasn't drop shipping. It's called Ice Wraps. And we still own that today. Mm-hmm. And, and what are Ice Wraps? Uh, it's just like hot and cold therapy packs for different parts of your body. I got on a you know, business broker website, found this particular thing. It checked all the boxes of things that I was looking for at that moment. And it turned out to be one of the best investments we've ever made. It's been a really great business. That business had an Amazon account. It was complete happenstance that I got an Amazon in 2015 when we did. If that business that I bought didn't have an Amazon account, eventually it would have happened because I was in the e-commerce orbit and I would have eventually figured out the Amazon thing. That was- so at this moment, your only experience with e-commerce was the treadmill site. Yeah. What was the origin then of Color It, which I think <laughs> is the business that you're most famous for? 
Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the thing I'm most well known for in the e-commerce world for sure. And so I think everything in life and in business is, as you can probably tell from just the things I've been talking about, are, are stepping stones, right? You learn something every day. Hopefully you're learning something every day. It probably doesn't feel like you're learning something every day uh, or maybe every week. But when you look back at things in more macro terms, you know, I like to look at things like year by year at the end of the year or, or quarter by quarter and realize what we've accomplished or, or what you've learned. There's not enough time on this podcast to talk about the things that I kind of learned along the way. I alluded to some of it. Like I didn't want to be making customers unhappy or dealing with like big, heavy pieces of equipment or drop shipping. So like I learned that. And then we bought this other company and I learned that I wanted to make my own products. I wanted to have more, even more control of the process. And I wanted something that was, I could sell more of the same to the same customer and that was consumable in some way. And people were more passionate about than something you put in the freezer and it gets cold. You're not going to go tell anybody about that. That's not revolutionary. And so discovered the idea of, of adult coloring, you know, just by doing market research and actually it was my cousin's idea that, you know, she had kind of mentioned to me and that's when it was born. And we ended up partnering together and starting it together. And so this business was called Color It. You, you sold it in 2019. Yep. For how much? It was low seven figures, but we've been asked not by the buyer not to, to disclose that. I'm a very open book, but I also respect people that have given me large amounts of money to sure. to kind of protect them. But yeah, but when when you started the color it business, was it immediately clear that this was a different animal than than the other businesses you had ran? Even before we started it, I mean, it was that was it was very intentional. So it wasn't there was nothing accidental about it. It was one of these things where I took accumulation of all this knowledge, not only in the e-commerce industry, but like all the things that I had done my whole life and like put it all together. So nothing about it was accidental. Basically what happened was like, you know, it was, it was okay, this niche is like typing into Google trends. It's growing, you know, so it's like this growing niche. Let's look at all the other products that are selling in the industry. They all kind of suck. They're printed on the same paper. They look the same as like a Stephen King novel that you would go get at Barnes and Noble. Like crappy paper, crappy paper, or crap. It's soft cover book. And like, clip art designs, you know, just like, like, I don't need to be that smart to figure out, like, I can make a better mousetrap out of this. And not only that, to take my stupidity to another level, like where you don't need to know that much about, I just read the reviews of all the people that were complaining about the things that they were complaining about on those existing products. The paper sucks. I can't like get my hand out of the way of the binding, or I color one side of this thing and it bleeds through to the back of it. And I, I now that my other designs destroyed, or I want to like take this page out of here and frame it, but like I can't rip it out. And all these different things that people were complaining about, you just read that and be like, I can solve that. Like it's really easy to solve the design on the back of the page getting bled through by not printing on the back of the page. That's easy to do. I can do that. Okay, let's make that improvement. The binding sucks. Okay, well, let's make a spiral binding and make the thing so it lays flat. Yeah. And throw some hardback covers on it so like you can color in your lap and protect the artwork and perforate every page so you can rip it out. Let's get some higher quality paper. This can't be that difficult. And we just made those improvements and had basically an instant hit on in our hands. Where was all your traffic and customers coming from? We launched originally by just selling on Amazon as kind of a test bed, which I still recommend even you know in 2020 and beyond because it has instant traffic and instant proof of concept. And Amazon has that built-in traffic. And so by just launching one book and seeing what people said we then knew if we had a hit in our hands or not. And we definitely knew pretty quickly that, that we had a hit in our hands. So built-in traffic from Amazon, coupled with the fact that I'm an online marketer. And I, as you can probably tell, like I just figure stuff out. Like There's never an excuse to me of, I don't know how to do this. That's the thing that like lights my fire. Like I have no idea how to do Facebook ads. Cool. I get to go figure that out right now. Yeah. And so we went and launched Facebook ads. And it was good timing that Facebook was... Still, you know, was, this is 2015, early 2016, where Facebook was a little bit cheaper than it is now. I still think we could recreate it in 2020 and it would be successful, but probably not quite as successful. And it was also a demographic that happens to respond really well to, to this stuff. I mean, older people, especially older women, you know, demographically respond better to Facebook than you know, like young teens or something. They like, trust the ads. They trust the ads more. I've noticed this is the generational thing. Like 
generally speaking, the older people that I've watched use their phones and iPads and stuff, they're not cynical about ads. They just right. interact with them as if they're just as a regular post. Yeah. yeah. And they're genuinely fine with being yeah. advertised too. It's yeah. like, whereas I feel like the younger generation has a guard. Like, right. Oh man. I, it's even more than a guard. It's like this animosity towards the ad. But there were some other things that, that we got a little lucky on. And that was one of those. So what was the revenue point and employee count of color at, at the time you started to feel like it might be worth selling? Yeah. I mean, the reason we ended up selling, it wasn't just because of color. It was a macro thing. We, so we had four brands by this point. We were as a company, we did about 8.5 million uh, the last year that we had everything together as a conglomerate. Uh, and we had like 17 employees total at this point between California and our Philippines team. And, and what were your ballpark profit margins? We were making like 10%-ish net on that, 8 to 10%. And the reason it was lower is because we were fueling growth so hard. I mean, yeah. we were doubling every year. I just want to cut in here to say that if you want to hear more about the Color It story, there's a great group of episodes over at Mike's podcast, which is at ecomcrew.com slash ecomcrew-podcast. That does a deep dive into that business and the sale. So I'd urge you to check those out. The thing that kind of jumped out to me is like the fear that you started to experience. And mm-hmm. when the business gets big, it, these e-commerce businesses, it looks great on the outside. You know, you're growing, you're making a lot of money, but it's also demanding so much of your personal resources, yeah. not only emotionally, but financially. Can you talk about how that works in the e-commerce world specifically? Yeah, I mean, I, it got to a point where for the first time in my life, I, like I had true anxiety. I mean, to the point where it was affecting my health. I mean, it was, it was really bad. You know, I came from a position going into this where I felt like I was financially well off and like in, in a good spot. And I was getting to a point where if something bad happened, I was almost going to go back to zero again. And like the thought of that was like a lot of anxiety. Because you had pushed so many chips You're in. pushing so hard. And when, you, when we first invested, to write a $10,000 check to buy some inventory, no big deal. And then we got to $100,000. Again, if like I lost 100K, I was at a point where like that wasn't a big, it wasn't going to change anything. But when we were talk, talking about a million dollars or more than a million dollars of, of a swing, now it's like, okay, like that's going to affect my life and like really change things. And this com- happens commonly in e-commerce where you become a victim of your own success in mm-hmm. the sense that you said like your accountant in January is like, you know, great job, Mike. You had right. a great, you made this much money last yeah. year. And then Mike looks at his bank account and is like, where's the money? Right. Yeah. It was hundred percent. Cause again, we're growing it, and I didn't, you know, it's interesting how you don't know what you don't know. Right. So I mean, I, I gone through my life as an entrepreneur to this point, running a computer consulting business where I got paid either immediately for the work I did or pretty quickly thereafter, but there were no expenses other than the gas to get there. Yeah. Then an affiliate business where there was like same situation, you know, it's just like money is like raining from the sky, you know, and there's like no expenses to running an inventory based business, which I knew nothing about, didn't understand, like, even though I'm really good at math and I understood the fact that I'm buying this inventory and I have to wait to get paid until I, you know, or, or wait to get the money in my bank until I sell it. I didn't understand that at scale, you know, cause like when I wrote the check for the first inventory I bought, it was like an insignificant amount of money in my life. It didn't matter that I just wrote a check to buy some inventory. Yeah. Meaningless. It's also like not that dynamic. So I'm right. going to write a $10,000 check and then I expect to get 20,000 back at in some six point. Months. Yeah. And at some point it's going to like kind of whatever, you know, it's just like, it was just like totally like whatever, like it's going to, you know, just going to happen and didn't really think again, much beyond that. But you start scaling this up to a point where you're selling $8 million of the goods in a year. We had $1.3 million in inventory at our peak before we sold color. It. I got to come up with $1.3 million to buy that inventory. And the IRS doesn't take gel pens or ice packs as payment for taxes. And my employees don't either. And now it's a number that I can't cover on my own. You know, when it gets beyond your own personal financial resources and, you know, so then we start borrowing money to like against inventory and things of this nature. And then it becomes a situation of because I'm really connected in e-commerce and we you know, help a lot of people and we're very hyper aware of what's happening around us, you start hearing stories like almost on a daily basis of like my account just got shut down on Amazon or this listing got suspended or this competitor did XYZ. And all of a sudden, like in the back of your mind, the seeds planted that just festers and grows. And like, that's all you can think about, at least in my case, I don't want to project this on anybody else. This is just how it happened for me, I should say. 
And so it was at a point where like I couldn't sleep through the night without checking my phone to see if I got a suspended by Amazon email. And I knew what the repercussion was if that happened. And I had been through something similar that was out of my control in 2006 when the government passed that legislation. And now this like seemingly like thing that was like a very small chance was starting to seem like maybe it was a 3% or 5% chance, which is still low. But because of being an online poker player and a statistically and analytical minded person, you realize that 5% is like one in 20 and one in 20 is actually happens a lot. If you're playing a one in 20 game every single day, like, yeah, it's a small chance today. It's a small chance tomorrow. It's kind of like a hurricane hitting, you know, Miami. Like today, it's probably not going to happen tomorrow. It's probably not going to happen. But the day that it does, it's really bad. And that's all I could think about. Cause I knew that if it happened, we were screwed. It's one of these things you never think of in advance, but maybe this wouldn't be such a concern if you weren't growing. 100%. And that's fueled by like some other, you know, either ego thing. So this is something I'm really struggling with because I don't feel like I'm an ego person, but then I'm an entrepreneur and like I've already kind of revealed like how I like excitement and I like the growth. And so like, and you said money keep, helps you keep score. Too. It helps you keep score. And it's just like everything score, else I do. What score? Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> it's the same as when I would play Starcraft or, you know, whatever game it be that I'm playing. I just want or Galaga when I was a kid, I want the high score. Yeah. You know, and, and that number, you know, you have the high score in Galaga. It's not going to buy you anything. Nothing's going to change in your life. It's kind of like a number in the bank account at some point, especially with the lifestyle that we have, it doesn't really change that much in our life. But like, it makes me feel really good on some other level. And you're just like, so it's like you're struggling with all this internally, right? Yeah. And, and also you have your hands on the wheels of a business. More people want to buy these things. There's demand right. for it. it. It is kind of insane to say, you know what? No. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have employees, you have everybody's racing towards what it seems like a very obvious thing, which yeah. is let's sell more next year if we can. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's hard to, it's hard to say no. So you sold color it. We won't get into all that, but it, sum it up for us emotionally. I mean, it's it's polar opposites in terms of emotion. You know, I, w- I went from this anxiety ridden, you know, day to day lifestyle to this. I like, couldn't be more relaxed and comfortable with where we're at because we have no more debt against any inventory, no debt of any kind. Like that, which is where we were when we started e-commerce. Right? We went into this debt free of any kind. You know, so now that we sold this off. We got you know the seven figure payday for selling the business. Plus we got paid for all the inventory on top of that. And you smartly retained your other brands, retained the other brands. Now we're cash flowing a lot. You know, so the, our bank account account balance is growing every month. I can see it growing. I log in. I see that every month it continues to grow. There's no bills to pay against it because there's no more debt. So I'm not servicing any debt. And I'm not saying that like you shouldn't have debt or you shouldn't, you know, have a growth you know, time of your business, but Everyone reacts to different stresses and different things differently. And for me, as much as I'm a risk taker, I'm also risk adverse in some aspect, right? Like I don't want to bet my entire life's work at 40 and have to try to start all over again. When I was 20, that didn't matter. Like all I had to lose was like the 17 cents I had in my pocket. Like who cares? Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And there's (laughs) smart risks and there's dumb risks. Like if walking up, to the roulette table and putting 80% of your net worth on a thing that's likely to hit is right. a dumb risk. Right. It's a dumb risk. I mean, even the casino doesn't do it. They have <laughs> limits on the tables for a reason. You know, I had to be realistic of this as well. You have to stay in your lane of like what is comfortable for you. And I had gotten out of my lane. You get caught up in the excitement of, as you were saying, just this growth thing. And, and especially, you know, when you become like a, a personality in the space and people are looking up to you and you're talking on the speaking circuit and you want to have a story to continue to tell that's like cool and you know interesting talk where everyone's like clapping at the end you get caught up in like all this stuff it's like hard not to like i mean you're you're lying if you don't admit this stuff right and so like i kind you, of realized you got busted on a little bit for selling the business because a listener accused you i think of something like losing some credibility because you sold your business yeah at the end of the day, first of all, I'm old enough now and, and been through enough where like, I just don't care. It's not affecting them. It's easy for them to criticize, right? And at the end of the day, like, what's important is like my health and well-being, my relationships with my family, especially my wife, which was also strained from all this. I always talk about this on our own podcast and things. I'm, you know, Do what you feel comfortable with. People will ask us all the time, like, should I buy this product? Like, how much should I target for growth next year? 
these type of questions like come up all the time. I'm like, and the answer for me always is like, do what makes you feel most comfortable. Stop looking at what like I'm doing or other people are doing out there. You know, Ezra Firestone, Andrew Udarian, Steve Chu, Scott Volker, all the people I'm friends with in the industry that that do similar things. Like, don't do it because like they're doing it and they seem like they're successful. They're also not talking about the stresses that this produces in their life. And so for me, you know, and it's, again, you were talking about someone criticizing, like, I don't really care what they think because like, I know we did the right thing for us at the time that we did it. First of all, I don't regret it. But even if I did, there's nothing I can do to change it. Like it's sold. It's not mine anymore. Right. Yeah. But for me, it's, it was one of the best things that we've done in a long time. It really helped put this line in the sand. And for me, it's like that chapter is kind of closed now. And I can say that like that thing was successful. It's done. Move on to the next thing. I'm going to do something else. It's not like we're done with entrepreneurship. And so, and when it allowed us, you know, over the last year to live the dream, number one, Mark. Right. Let's be, let's not <laughs> the dream. Mix, mix, <laughs> let's not dance around the bush here. I try not to say that, but yeah. So I've, I, for me, I've been living the dream. It's been, it's been a great year. Oh yeah. It's another dynamite deal, everybody. <laughs> You heard on our annual review that this Dynamite Deals thing, it's going good. And so we decided in 2020, we are going to do 20 deals. Dynamite Deals is where we go out and partner with a productized service company, largely speaking. The majority of our deals have been with productized service companies that deliver a specific result for an incredibly low price. And our team works with the service provider to make sure that that's an amazing deal and that that service provider also has the capacity to service our clients. Over the course of 2020, we'll be rolling out 20 amazing productized service deals for you. We wanted to kick the new year off by returning some of the best deals of 2019. And of course, because there are capacity issues, a lot of these deals shut down. And so people said, hey, I want access to that deal I heard about on the podcast a few months ago. So here you go. Today, we have three returning deals for you here at Dynamite Deals. The first is by Destination Legal. Register your trademark once and for all. Protect your assets and grow your company on a solid foundation. Avoid a legal nightmare by working with Destination Legal on your trademark. And typically getting a trademark takes hours, days, if not weeks of back and forth with the USPTO office. For a one-time fee, Destination Legal will take care of everything for you. I'm talking about all the correspondence, even the filing fee. You'll finally be able to cross that legal to-do off your list with this amazing deal from Destination Legal. Our second deal is from our partner, Content Refined, SEO-optimized content for your site. So SEO, of course, starts with the foundation of great content. And to do this, you can hire a writer and develop a content strategy, or you can work with a team that already does this for a living. That's exactly who Content Refined is. Content Refined will help plan and create SEO-optimized content for you. So no need to go out and hire writers and all that. And the best part of their service is they provide a content upgrade service where you can just supercharge the content that's already working on your site. They got a really cool process for how they do that. And you can just bam, click that button over at dynamitedeals.co and your content will get upgraded. More traffic, more leads, more sales. Can't get any easier than that. Our final deal, one we've really been enjoying internally, is from Many Pixels. Many Pixels provides unlimited design services like having a designer on your team for a low monthly fee. And of course, because this is a dynamite deal, it's super low. That's what we do around here. Our team has been going crazy with this deal. I'm serious. We're just giving them designs every single day. They're coming back amazing. We're looking better. We're happy. We're so happy with many pixels. You can check across all of our brands. Things are looking sharper. We're, we're getting graphic design, web design, it's been incredible. Check this out. They're absolutely our go-to landing page designers at this point. We don't have to do this stuff internally because we have a Many Pixels membership. So Many Pixels will even redesign your whole website for you. Again, it's like having a few talented graphic designers on your team, but just for a low monthly fee. Check it out. Again, Destination Legal, Content Refined, and Many Pixels. And for those of you who run productized services out there, reach out to the team at Dynamite Deals. 
maybe you could be one of those 20 deal partners if you can help entrepreneurs grow their business with just one click and provide a done-for-you service. We'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in any of that or any of these deals today, head on over to dynamitedeals.co. I'm going to toss some like philosophical questions. Oh, boy. You said at the top of the episode, you felt like there's something of a clear distinction between entrepreneurs and employees. Mm-hmm. Can you put your finger on it? So I think that, first of all, I think there's two classes of entrepreneurs. The class of entrepreneur, I, am, I feel like it's almost like a disease. It's a disease that, on top of everything else, is propped up by society. You know, If you're an alcoholic, you're looked down upon. A drug addict, looked down upon. Gambler, looked down upon. Entrepreneur, success. <laughs> right? You got just as many problems as all those other people. Take this ball, Michael, and run with it. I mean, I don't want to diminish the person who's an alcoholic or a drug addict because those are obviously serious things. But entrepreneurs, like an entrepreneur of my type, it has just as big of a problem because they will ignore everything else around them, including their own well-being and health, their relationships, their family and friends, their financial well-being, everything to like for this business. Like this business becomes the most important thing in their life. There's the other class of entrepreneur that gets into it and is very calculated and and does it for you know either some financial or lifestyle reason and they're very disciplined to that. I'm not saying that either one of them is bad or or better than the other. Although I think that I've kind of outlined the perils of being a, a true entrepreneur. Then there's you know the average person I think in the world is not a risk taker in this way and they want security and they want to just kind of like go do their job. And at the end of the day, when they leave it at 5 p.m. or 6 or 7 p.m., whatever, like walk away but from it, that but, and go But couldn't home. you reply to that and say, isn't entrepreneurship more secure? I think so from my perspective, but that's my perspective as an entrepreneur. Like yeah. the average person would never think that way. You would never convince any of my employees of that. Like they, they think I'm nuts. You know, to them, and you know, maybe it's, it's just societal pressure or what we're taught by our families or what you see other people doing around you. You know, it's a lot of monkey see monkey do in society. And <laughs> these are things that I've also started to realize, like I do myself, but there's something to be said for, I'm going to go to work today and get paid, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a complete false sense of security. Like you can be let go of that job, fired, laid off, whatever at any moment in time which is always funny when you go talk to a bank because a bank perceives the job is more secure than, than the entrepreneur. It's like hard for me to get a loan. I'm like, what are we talking about? Like, I'm way more financially secure than what you deem to be. Yeah, the, I have the enough money box. to cover the loan. Right, yeah. You won't give me. And you still won't give me money. Like, that's another story that happened one time in my life, but it's, which is crazy. And so, yeah, for me, it's the ultimate security. So, so, so you, this disease, you're describing it something like, like a gambling addiction. Yeah. It's an addiction to... Building a system that makes money, hundred percent. Like there's, and, and so now, like I'm, you know, at least I realize it, and I'm trying to get better at it, and not let it take over my life in the way that it has in the past. But this has happened, manifested multiple times. Yeah, you brought it up a few times as you were going through the different incarnations of your career, where there was a part of my mind that was like, Mike's taking on stress and anxiety about an organism that other people aren't willing to. Yeah. And it gets to these points where you get overrun with that stress and anxiety and then you get out of it. Yeah, I mean, people snap at some point. I like at least identified the cycle and working on trying to prevent that from happening where it diminishes my health or diminishes my relationships. Do you ever worry about having too much cash? Yes, because uh, I actually, at this moment in time as we're talking, I'm just worried about the value of US dollars and the potential like doomsday scenario where things could go from here. Maybe a one in 20 as well. You know, I think it's probably in that range, which is kind of crazy to think that there's a one in 20 chance that. So let's be you clear. Know, you, there's a one in 20 chance, maybe, you know, these are all, these are like religious conversations. There's mm, no data or whatever. No. But there's a one in 20 chance that say the US dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency. Yeah. yeah. And, and so how might one respond to that as a person who has a lot of US dollars? People are going to be like, turning out the podcast or yelling through the yelling through the podcast. But for me, I've invested a lot of money in Bitcoin and gold. And this is not the tinfoil hat, you know, mentality. I've invested a lot of my net worth in Bitcoin as well for the same reason. Yeah. I think that people would be really well off to research on their own and read their own material that fits their 
political beliefs or whatever. I don't want to get into a, sure. a you know, conversation Sometimes this stuff here. is hard to research too because you end up rationalizing what you already... Yeah, so you, you, you will confirm your biases, but research the 2008 financial crisis and start realizing how close we were within 72 hours of like ATMs and banks not working in the United States. We were on the precipice of like US dollars meaning nothing. It was really, really close. And luckily, you know, in 2008, there was the political capital and will and sanity that left and right came together and people realized with the situation and made it happen. Everyone felt some pain, but ultimately did something which was crazy, quantitative easing, printed you know, billions of dollars and injected in money supply and kept the system running. I'm not sure that that could happen today. Like the system seems to be at such gridlock and, and people are at such odds. System. Same system with a lot less political capital and will to get anything done. I like that perspective. Good hot take. Is dropshipping bullshit? No, I don't think it's bullshit at all. I think that, you know, the, the information and materials that are out there, the get rich quick dropshipping stuff that you see, that's BS. I mean, and you've mentioned on your show that they can often prey on younger people mm-hmm. who don't have a lot of capital who are attracted to less capital intensive business models. I mean, this is not just in dropshipping. I mean, this is a scam that has happened since the Middle Ages, right? I mean, here's easy money to be made. I will teach you for this little bit of money how to go make a lot of money. Just yeah. give it to me and sprinkle my secret sauce on it and you'll go become a millionaire too. Yeah. And this is one thing that we work really hard to make sure that we're never perpetrating in what we teach and what we do. And it makes me really mad that these other people are out there and I'm associated and thrown into the same group sometimes by guilty by association. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is complete BS. Like, I mean, you're not going to just do the same thing that a hundred thousand other people are doing in the world <laughs> and be successful too. But, you know, one of the partners that we have in Ecom crew is a guy who does drop shipping and runs a very successful store and I think has a very legitimate business doing it. I think the differentiation is that you're adding value and putting in the hard work that no one else is willing to do over a long period of time, which is what he's done. Just like anything else, there's pros and cons to everything. And so when you're in the inventory-based side of it, it's like, man, I really wish I was dropshipping. And when you're dropshipping, you're like, man, I really hate all the problems with dropshipping because there's no perfect, easy business. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. But yeah, there's definitely still, there's still room out there to dropship. What would you say to somebody who's frustrated by the world of e-commerce information they this is very common, I think more common in e-commerce, for a successful entrepreneur to say something like, well, you couldn't really do it the way I did it in X year when we got this started. Yeah. So e-commerce mm. in some ways feels less replicatable. Like, What would you respond to that with? I've been talking about this quite a bit this last year because I've also come to come to the realization that the current business that we have, the ice wraps part of the business which makes us really good money that if I was a, you know, someone was to take it away from me and say, go start that over again. Could you go do that? The answer is probably not. I do think you could start something like the specific reason would be Amazon as a platform was so dramatically different. I know it's only four years ago, but there were a fraction of the number of sellers at the time and the fraction of our products and the amount of competition. You were the early in the gold rush, you know, early in the gold rush. And Unlike the gold rush, like this is, you know, there's a re- you know, continuous supply of more customers, right? And more gold being kind of grown. In, in, so it, a little bit different in the fact that gold, once it was gone, it was gone. You know, like you found gold nuggets in the stream. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the gold nuggets for us were like, you know, just finding products to launch and get them launched, I guess. And so those opportunities are, are kind of gone now. But building a brand like Color It, I think, is a, still a very real business model. So in other words, Amazon is still a great channel great channel but you need to have a, a brand and a product it's not no longer a hack to make right money you on can't like go into a piece of software put in some parameters find the opportunity and just launch something that's like off the shelf from alibaba as an observer from i mean it felt like four years ago you could do exactly that and now exactly and now that. that's still happening but it's happening with the pe guys yeah like they're coming to amazon now and hitting the software yeah. and or the the factories direct yeah I get laughed at this all the time. There's the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, the opportunity was there. It's not there any longer. Get over it. Go do something else now. You have to, like, you have to adapt. Like, the cheese is moved. And it was an amazing time. It was almost as easy as online poker. I look back at, you know, the ease of making money and, and 
2015 Amazon, you could launch any product, get unlimited amounts of reviews for giving away a product and play all these, you know, manipulative games with the Amazon system, get products to rank and be making money almost immediately. Cash flow was always a struggle, you know, cause you're still having to buy inventory, but it was very easy to do. You cannot do that any longer. And so rather than whining or in the book, human, my cheese, hemming and hauling about that, you need to reinvent yourself. Well, what are some and, reliable and ways to find cheese? I think in e-commerce, again, it's like if you can make something that's different with a little bit of secret sauce and defend it a little bit and get some momentum before you have the competition and stay ahead of them. Nothing's brand new. Like, I mean, I didn't invent coloring books. I just made yeah. them better or made them different. And that is a business model that's never going to go away. You know, I, I would encourage people to stop thinking about like the game and the trick or whatever that works right now and think about the bigger picture and something you can build that's going to be sustainable through all micro cycles and environments. And you're not just trying to like cut corners and make money quickly and just do it because it's like the thing to do today and that other people want to form or talking about it. And like everyone's like trying to like hack the secret way to like crack Amazon today. Like we didn't do any of that with color. We didn't do any giveaways or coupons or, you know, super URLs. We just had a passionate group of real customers that we told them the new product is out and said, go buy it. And they did. And so we would shoot to the top of the rankings because they, they legitimately wanted the product. That seems to me to be a better way to approach starting a business than just like, I just need to make money today. It's easy for me to sit here from my pedestal with years of knowledge and some money in the bank and say to go do that. If I was 20 and had to go scrappy, find, you know, make some money, that's fine too, you know, like long as you're doing it in an ethical way. But if you're in a position where you can, even for a moment, take a breath, take a step back and try to build something that might take a little bit longer, the, the harder it is and the longer it takes to build it is a barrier to entry for everyone else. There's a wisdom to not rushing into like the most desirable business model right away. There's a wisdom to doing consulting, then getting an executive job or building an executive job. Yep. And you mentioned like those things stuck with you. Now, when you start having to manage a P&L and stuff, all of a sudden it's not your first rodeo yep. and it, the business doesn't burn down around you. A previous guest on the show said something uh, cool, quote, like, don't judge your insides by somebody else's outsides. And, and the idea is you don't really know what's going on in other people's businesses. Yes. But yes. you kind of do because you do a lot of under the hood stuff. Mm -hmm. You hang out with, you're sought out by entrepreneurs for advice and they show you their numbers and stuff. So could you share with me some general insides that you're seeing that people are really struggling with? Problems people run into once they achieve success with e-commerce. Yeah. I mean, number one, my partner has this awesome saying, revenue is vanity and profits are sanity. It's actually very easy to sell stuff online. doesn't mean you're making any money doing it. I can literally sell any amount of anything online. Guaranteed. Just buy enough ads. Just buy enough ads. doesn't mean I'm making any money. And so like, the challenge is running a profitable business. A profitable e-commerce business is actually is challenging because even a well-run e-commerce business is inherently running on relatively small margins. So the, the margin for error is smaller than something like an affiliate marketing business. There's no situation where you're going to be able to buy the things that we're sitting around this podcasting table here from China, source it, or from anywhere in the world, whatever it might be, and sell it at a price that is so dramatically higher than anyone else to where your margins are going to, you know, it's just the free market settles that battle yeah. for you, right? And so there's certain exceptions to things like this, like iPhones, for instance, where it's just like, but like there's so much intellectual property and things that go into that. But if you're selling like random commodity-based items, like everything on this table, like I'm looking at my iPhone case and a charger and this podcast recorder and these headphones and this microphone and you know, all these things are all commodity type items. The margin for error along the way in terms of logistics and how you run your ads and what your landing page looks like and your ad copy and your product photos and, and all these different things, like you have to be at the top of your game and doing things pretty efficiently to be able to compete with the guy who's already doing it really efficiently. And so it's, it's tough. Like e-commerce is tough. You can be a victim of your own success. That happens very easily in e-commerce because again, no matter who you are, you will find the end of the rainbow in terms of your cash supply. <laughs> you can only have so much money. And so like, no matter how well off you think you are, you will spend through your cash 
buying inventory to grow your business. And at some point that will become an issue. And if you're growing faster than you, you know, the math organically allows you to grow, which we all want to do. We all want to have like that story of like grow hundred percent, 200%, 300%. Yeah. But that can't happen forever without outside cash. And so that's another big struggle. And so there's like a couple of big hurdles of like, can I figure out like the right products and combination of things where I can start selling and do it profitably and then what happens when I start scaling it? And so those two things are, are probably the biggest challenges I see. E-commerce businesses are so dependent on structures that exist outside of you, mm-hmm. your person, whether it's financing, whether it's the market price of your commodity, whatever. And that's part of the beauty of e-commerce because mm-hmm. you can walk away from those businesses for months and they just chug along because the world's running them in, in right. kind of a way. right. But then there is also that idea that, well, then, yeah, you are dependent on those systems as well. You're surfing the wave, so to speak. Exactly. And, you know, every wave crashes on a beach eventually. (laughs) (laughs) We did a survey this year. 80% of our audience is uh, business owners. What kind of message do you have to share with them to inspire them to move along in a better direction in 2020? Hmm. This is probably on the philosophical I kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, it's just stay in your lane, do, do it for you and don't let what you see everybody else doing what you think is successful. As you said before, you don't know what's actually happening under the hood of someone else's business, their life, their psyche, all these things. And, you know, life is short. So like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, what are you going to really be thinking about? You know, are you going to be thinking about this widget that you sold or like a really amazing memory that you created by you're going someplace cool or eating an amazing meal or you're doing an experience type thing. These are things that I think that you have to experience yourself. Like you can read all the books you want, talk to all the people you want, certain things you have to kind of understand and experience yourself. But, you know, hopefully talking about this a little, gets you there a little bit quicker. For me, I wish I had, I had more people in my life that helped me get there quicker as well. And, you know, so just do it for you. Don't try to, to shoot for another level that makes you uncomfortable because you want to be cool. I was talking to someone earlier today about, about this, where you know, they've had a, a bad year and, and going through some tough times and kind of understood about like margins and profitability. And some of these things like you have to just experience for yourself and the pain of, of that before you can understand how to get on the right path. But you know, hopefully some of it, if you do here, you can understand without having to, to stub your toe. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Big thanks to Mike Jackness from the Ecom Crew Pod for swinging by the living room here and uh, sharing so openly with us. I really had a wonderful time talking to, to Mike, and, and one of the reasons is is even though he's looked to as someone to do a lot of advice on the webs, and he's looked to as an expert and a speaker and all this stuff, he's not quick to simplify. Uh, what I think we all know in our day-to-day lives is really complicated, like running businesses isn't always a matter of following the steps or the, the simple theory or whatever. And, and certainly in telling his story here today, Mike avoided those simplifications. And uh, I appreciated that and led us into sort of the nuance and the difficulty of making these decisions that affect our lives so much. And made me think too of back a few episodes ago, the Brenwell Code, when we said, if the sweater is scratchy, take it off. One of the principles of the Brenwell Code, this idea of at the end of the day, you're the one that has to live with your business and you're the one that's got to run it. So if it doesn't feel right, it might make sense to make a change. Anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. I'm going to post the show notes and links to everything Mike mentioned at tropicalmba.com slash ecomcrew. And that's it for today. I hope you all have a happy Thursday and a wonderful weekend. We will be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.